Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeff with Gyro Nation Metal. Canadian thrash metal band Corrosive released their second album, Toxic Apocalypse, in 2022 through Canadian Records. Forming in 2015, they've already become a force to be reckoned with, sharing the stage with bands such as Beyond Creation, Havoc, Venom Inc., Exciter, Voivod, and they will be performing with Razor on April 29th, 2023 in Toronto, Ontario. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rad Zarei and the band's vocalist, Jack Neela, the band's guitarist. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Yay. Thanks for having us, man. First things first, let's chat about your new album. Uh, I thought it was a great step up from your last one. What are some of the biggest differences between this new album and your last release? Um, Songwriting-wise, it's strictly myself and our new guitarist, uh, Derek Solomos, taking the the songwriting. Um, And I wanted the album to be uh, faster, uh, darker sounding, and uh, uh, a bit more blast beats. So I just wanted an overall heavier, darker uh, just, just more brutal sounds. And I think we, I think we achieved that. Uh, there's even a song, uh, with some odd time signatures in it. So that was new for us. I definitely say you hit that on the head. Um, okay. it seemed like even like the production was ramped up quite a bit. It was like, your, I liked your last album, but this one kind of blew it out of the water. It was with the same engineer and the benefit of hindsight with our first album cost the chords was he's like, okay, what can we do differently? I'm like, well, I got a guitar with active pickups. And then we went to a different studio to do drums. We did drums in three days instead of two days. So the drums were more hammered out. Like we, we really took our time with it. It was more like, okay, he could get that fill a bit better. He can play that last section a little harder and we nailed it there. Yeah, and the benefit of uh, working with the same engineer, uh, Ben Erickson, wonderful man, uh, is that the longer you work with somebody, the more uh, that person becomes attuned to what the band should sound like and what they need, what they want to accomplish. And that's the reason why, you know, Ben himself was like, okay, buddy, I think we did great with Caustic Chords, but this is something we can do different with a new album, and that's what you hear right now. So you, you're saying that it's a step up. Definitely, it is a big step up for us and our engineer, Ben Erickson. And so did you seek out Ben originally specifically, or how did you guys come up with him? We did. Um, I, I uh, introduced him to the band. I used to play in a rock band, and um, my rock band, he actually approached my rock band because he moved from Victoria, BC to Toronto, and he's like, he was just looking for bands to record. Came across my rock band called Pterodactyl Problems, and we did a cover EP, and <clears throat> the production was really freaking good on that. Uh, one song in particular, we covered Sad Statue by System of a Down. Okay. And because the song has double bass and blast beat with trend picking, it had all the ingredients for thrash metal. And I'm thinking, okay, full length album with corrosive with this, that's, that's going to be good. And it was, so we never looked back and there's, there's no reason to go with anyone else at this point. Agreed. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. And so we've already touched on some of the stuff you wanted to change, but what are some of the aspects of your older music that you wanted to remain the same? Well, I could start off with that. For for me, you know, with Corrosive, I've always wanted to have um, fascist the roots. And you can say that we've incorporated a lot of our influences and um, a lot of what we want to come out, but the song demands, rather, uh, in our music. For Caustic Horrors and Toxic Apocalypse, it's more, more or less the same. We're keeping the thrash roots. You know, when you hear it, you know it's a thrash song. All of them, you know it's a thrash song, but, you know, we, we kind of put them on steroids. We kind of have this thing where we say, oh, it's a mutated form of thrash, right? So you, you have songs like Fail Strike, it's thrash with the riffs and vocals, and then but you got Relentless Blast Beats, and then you got Libertad y Muerte, which is also a thrash song, and then Jack comes up with like fucking odd, odd time signatures and whatnot. 
And, you know, we have like our traditional thrash, which is like the goddamned and, um, you know, the songs like Hail the Hellfire yeah. and Carnage Incarnate. Yeah. Very, yeah, very, uh, very much rooted in like mid 80s thrash. But with, uh, like, um, you know, some death, um, grindcore and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I'm guessing that's where the term like caustic thrash came from. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Like thrash that. So it'll melt your skin, yeah. kind of. That's what we accomplished, <laughs> man. Like face melting thrash, you know. And well, it seems like it works. Thank you. That's that's the goal. We we like the benefit of hindsight because with thrash metal in the eighties, it was like, okay, how heavy can we make music? And it was all pretty consistent. And then it it kind of forked off. Like if you blended uh, thrash metal, as it got heavier with more punk roots, like power violence, it became grindcore. If you would slow the tempo down a little bit, fluctuate it, and change the vocal style, it would become death metal. And then the same direction, but also a little bit opposite, became black metal, you know? Mm. So we take influences from the extreme genres, and what we do is, like, we reverse engineer it to make it thrash. So it's like, okay, what what makes these genres fundamental? Take the elements that we like about them and then keep it strictly thrash, which is why I think... A song like Slaughter the Preacher off our first album, the chorus is pure blast beats, but it's still strictly thrash. Like, it's unmistakably thrash metal. Mm, interesting. So that's kind of what you guys have done to kind of keep yourself uh, apart from the pack. Yeah, we, we like we love blast beats, but we're not like we're not a death thrash band. We want to be strictly thrash as hard yeah. as it can like, go. We're, we're always talking about how how extreme we can take it, how how far we can push it without going over the boundaries of thrash, right? It's just like taking it to the limits. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that way all the time. It just so happens that, you know, when Jack and Derek write songs, it's like, okay, this part calls for a blast beat. Oh, this part calls for a downbeat. Oh, how can I make this song better with a vocal style? So it's, like I said, it's what the song demands. Because sometimes, you know, when you listen to a song, right, you know, when you're just casually listening to music, it's like, maybe they could have done better if they, they did it this way. That That's what a lot of our conversations uh, are about when we have jams it's like how can we make this song better you know in our opinion most importantly what we like if, if it's fun for us you know that that's the most important thing is that we love what we do we love the music that we made you know and fuck what everybody else says but we're happy with it you know if you don't think this this song needs blast well we fucking do so we're gonna put it there whether you like it or not <laughs> yeah and so you guys have only about a year in between releases right. um does that mean you, you had some extra material left over from caustic hordes or were you guys just busting your ass the entire time we had one song left over from Caustic Chords. Nice. And that song was Fatal Strike. We did a music video for that one. So we uh, we wanted to put it in Caustic Chords because we were supposed to have uh, three songs from our previous EP and then uh, I think six new ones. And then there was a lineup change. And we decided um, let's not do the EP songs and write some new material. And it, it came out with one extra song, and that song was Vitralism. And then I decided um, Acidized from the Melting From Within EP should go on Caustic Chords, which left um, Deathless and Fatal Strike uh, just kind of sitting there in pre-production. And, and we're, we're sitting on the songs because uh, we started writing Toxic Apocalypse right when Caustic Chords came out. And we're like, I really like Fatal Strike. Like, it's got a pretty banging chorus, and I like the structure, and I think I can really change it some more. So we changed it a lot more, and then began writing. That was kind of like the direction we wanted to go in for the album. Like, it was so much heavier and darker 
than anything on cost of chords we're like okay we need to write an album around this idea mm. make all the songs fit together and that's that's what toxic apocalypse is it's it's an amped up heavier darker version of the cost of chords toxic apocalypse is that in the first album a lot of the songs maybe half half of the songs were co-written by our former guitar player um you know like jack mentioned uh, there was a lineup change he's no longer with us and then with toxic apocalypse he jack was just like hammering out like one idea after the other and with the benefit of having Derek Solomos join our band uh, in 2021 um, you know these guys were just like hammering ideas out and you know that's what you get with Toxic Apocalypse you know it's just like pure Jack and Derek you know it's like that's the reason why when you see the vast difference between the two like Caustic is yeah it's great it's heavy we love the album but when you get the second album it's just like you hear you hear Jack in every song you hear Derek in every riff you know it was it was a lot of fun writing with Derek because I would bring like uh ideas like i think there was about two or three songs maybe it, i think it was just two fatal strike and into necropolis were fully written and derek started picking up some momentum of writing riffs it's like here's an idea and he'd bring it to the band we'd jam it and then i would string them together so there are some i think like half the album was like co-written between derek and i mm -hmm. Like he had a lot of input. He also plays a few guitar solos, so it's it's a, it's a nice effort, and I I love that. It's everyone gets a say. I like that you guys took Fatal Strike and instead of just putting it on the new record, that you basically ripped it apart and rebuilt it from scratch. That's awesome. That's right. Yeah. Uh, um, that's what, what I said earlier too. When we write songs, or even when we cover songs, you know, whatever, um, Jack wants to take it apart. You know, like reverse engineer it. How can we make this song better? You know, granted that the uh, Fatal Strike uh, track was re recorded about, like, what, four years ago now. And, you know, back then it was, like, such a great idea. It was still a great song, but then Jack said, okay, I think we should do this with a riff. Brad, I think maybe we can punch up the vocals, um, you know, the drums, everything, the bass. So basically tearing everything apart and putting it back together, you know, in a more mutated fashion. This is your second release with Canadian Records, so how did you guys get linked up with them? Oh, and so, play CD. Doesn't yeah. stand Canadian, it's a, it actually stands for Civilian Death Network. Really? Okay, it, that's interesting because I had a conversation with a previous guest and uh, they said Canadian, so I couldn't actually find any anything about what it stood for. Where did you guys find that information? I found it on the Metal Archives. I wonder if it's still there, actually. Um, the, way, uh, the way I found it, this is also... Uh, oh, yeah, on the Metal Archives, if you go to Additional Notes, CDN Records, founded in 1990 by Craig Newman in his bedroom, Originally, the label was named Civilian Death Network, but was forced to change due to the nonstop problems received from the government and the U.S.-Canada customs officials. Um, with most of the package shipments being open and smashed to bits, especially after 9-11. Right. So, okay. For facts, man. For facts. Yeah. yeah. So, and we were, we were on the phone with him when we asked him. He's like, yeah, they won't stop giving me shit. We're like, oh, okay, <laughs> so... Yeah, Craig, Craig is such an amazing guy, you know, uh, we couldn't have asked for a better label. Going back to your question of, of how we found CDN, uh, it was right after we uh, finished production with uh, Caustic Chords in uh, early 2021. And back then, I, I, I've always thought, like, maybe I'll just go independent, like, like before. It was actually Jack who kind of, like, showed me the light of what the benefits are of going with a label. So between Jack and myself, you know, we reached out to labels and vice versa, and, um, you know, some, you know, we were having conversations and then one time I sent out this email to uh, Craig uh, for CDN and he, um, I, we, Jack gave me the package for the full album in the MP3 format and I sent it to Craig 
And within an hour or so, he sends me this message on Facebook saying, holy fuck, this is what I need. This is what I need. Are you guys signed? If not, let me sign you right now. And I was like frantic. And I called Jack. Jack, CDN wants to fucking sign us. Are you kidding me, Jack says? You know, I mean, we, we reached out to like labels all over the world. You know, I, we, we emailed labels in Japan, Europe, US, everywhere. And Probably like a dozen labels. Yeah, exactly. And we didn't even realize, like, we didn't even know that, you know, somebody would be interested in us as some somebody as big as CDN is. Because, like, we didn't even bother, so to say. Because, like, CDN has a lot of bands under its belt, and, you know, they're very busy. They're very well known. So it's, like, between Jack and myself, it's, eh, never mind, you know, let's see what bites out there. But then, you know, I think that, that was the last email I sent out. And lo and behold, here we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, loved us and wanted to sign us, and now we're with album number two with them. Then moving forward, what does your partnership look like? Is it an album by album basis or do you have a certain number of releases that you have to attain? It is an album by album basis. And I really like that because uh, I think we get a renewed contract every album cycle. Mm-hmm. They own the uh, the rights to release it, but they don't own the album. So we own the recordings because we paid for it. Um, we also own the masters. They own the, uh, the release rights and they're not like permanent. They're like, negotiable at least to my understanding and the deal is great too um it's very fair it's it's yeah it's, he treats us very well he doesn't like own us where a lot of like major labels um yeah. like most recently was slipknot with their album the end so far which is a reference to the end of their roadrunner contract so it's like they fulfilled their, their end of the bargain with um you need to make x amount of albums and like that's something that really scares us because a lot can happen along the way like you know Sometimes it's impossible to fulfill that bargain. And I'm friends with bands who have like jumped at a label approaching them and they just sign a contract because they're like, oh my God, it's this label. And then they kind of read through it a little more and really, really sleep on it. I don't really, I don't really like the fact that I signed that. So we really took our time with this. Like it was very nice that uh, Craig was so enthusiastic with us, but we took our time and sat on it and we're like, yeah, this is a very good deal. We're taking it. Yeah. And uh, we, it was good enough that we wanted to do it again. And it's looking likely for album number three as well. Yeah, that's true. Nice. And about working with uh, professionals like uh, Craig is that, you know, they, we, we're not a product. We're not a commodity. We're, we're treated like human beings and it works as a partnership that, you know, we, they help us get our music out there. But in, in turn, we also help them by b- building the brand of CDN. It goes both ways. And, you know, the partnership is like, what can we do to help the band, you know, promote the band, yada, 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 and vice versa. What can we do to help promote the label? So that's the reason why Jack, uh, when we shot those uh, music videos, we uploaded them exclusively through CDN's YouTube channel. Cause like it has, they have great reach. And not only that, like more people will be driven to the website and it helps promote the label. So when people ask us, why don't you have your own YouTube channel? Well, we do, but for maximum reach and to help promote the label and vice versa, we'd rather have it out there on their channel where a lot more people can see it. Mm -hmm. Right. All of our videos are funded too. It seems like it's a very um, mutually beneficial relationship and it's, it seems like they have a healthy business practice. Like they're musician focused. Like you said, they treat you like people instead of a commodity. Whereas if you go to a bigger label, they kind of just say, well, you know what? I don't really care what happens. You have to release four albums. So fuck you guys. Yeah. Like there's pros and cons to both because a bigger label like can, has a shitload of connections so they can hook you up with um, bigger and uh, more prominent uh, distributors. They can also set you up with tours and whatnot. 
uh, we're not able to tour like consistently. We can't take three months off and play Europe or something like that. Um, we are playing um, out of country shows soon. We're all collectively getting our our visas and something called a P2 so we can play the US. But none of us are able to take months off and hit the road. But we are a gigging band and we do travel. Um, that's that's like a big no for a lot of major labels and a, a, a label like metal blade for example will only pick you up if your work ethic is killer like you know what you're doing and you hit the road and since we don't hit the road um we do what we can uh like locally which is a lot of music videos and we also did a live show we filmed our show with exciter and then our our producer ben erickson mixed it and there's a whole bunch of cameras because i work in in film i edited it all and we put it up on their channel so it's like dvd quality nice yeah that's really cool yeah thank you it's it's something that like because we can't consecutively play shows and get out of the country like on a whim uh you know do what you can well and for you it'd take a lot of preparation to do those long-term tours yes yes I guess it takes a lot of preparation for anyone, but if you have other um, responsibilities, then it's a little bit more difficult. And I mean, with, with the way that you're pushing music out, it, it seems like at one point you might actually reach that level where you can take the three months off. We're hoping to, like if the option's there and like we can financially afford to like, mm-hmm. like not work for a couple months, then why not? You know? Yeah. Cause all of us are working in the band, right? Because we all have the day job thing. Ups pay the bills. <laughs> And that's about it. I mean, you know, if we were, but we wouldn't say no, if we were given the opportunity, heck, why the, why the fuck not, right? I mean, two months, three months, we'll see. Well, I mean, you guys got to look out for you. Uh, if you guys can't do it right now, that's totally fine. But who knows what the future holds? Exactly, right? I mean, we, we are getting some offers. Like, uh, one of our label mates uh, in CDN, uh, they're called Howler, Costa Rican, thrash metal. They're fucking amazing. You know, we were just chatting on Instagram like a few weeks ago and they said, oh, you guys come over here and blah, 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 and then vice versa. Like they want us to play over there. And as you know, in South America, they're crazy for thrash metal, man. You know, and th- th- and they love like when American or Canadian bands like thrash, like travel over there and put on a show. They're very appreciative of that fact. So we can't wait for that, too. It almost seems like we're spoiled in Canada and the States, like with just the amount of uh, bands that come through. So when you go to other countries like that, of course, they're going to soak it right up. That's something I've noticed with metal in general is if you play a pretty niche genre of music, the people who like it, love it. So it's like if 100 people um, love the genre, like 60 of them will just hand over your money. Like they'll they'll buy your stuff. They'll go, they'll, they'll really, really like it and be very vocal about it. Rather than if you're like, like I know a lot of people who know Greta Van Fleet, but I don't know a lot of people who really like them enough to buy their merch or see them. But like with metal, because it's so niche, especially more extreme stuff, like a really niche genre, people like it, love it. Mm-hmm. It's like that with within in just Latin America in general. Uh, it's like oh, we don't really get a lot of metal bands, so when they do, they they go fucking hard. That's right. That's got to feel good for you guys on stage too. Like oh, yeah. when, when you have the audience kind of giving that same amount of feedback, or not feedback, I guess, but energy. Of course, that's what we live for, man. You know, like some of our more recent shows, whether it was like a small venue or uh, when we played the Phoenix twice last year, uh, when we opened for Voivod and Accept, 
the reception just was just like crazy. And then in between that, we had a uh, you know a club show where it housed about 400, 450 people when we opened for Exciter. That was the uh, the video that Jack was talking about, the live Hellfire video, which he shot and um, you know edited, directed, and everything. Uh, we have that live DVD for. Um, when you watch the video, the our set was insane from start to finish. It's it's on YouTube and you'll see it. Like people were crowd surfing. You know, like the venue even said, like we've never even had that. And for a small venue, we actually had the mini wall of death happening. And that's what we do for man. We see the energy that the crowd gives back when we perform. That's what we live for, man. You know, that's that's the best part about gigging. You guys worked with Ed Repka on your latest album cover. So what made you seek him out specifically? Um, I said, do you know what professionals do? They get professionals. Who is, who is the guy? Like, who is the guy? Because uh, The idea came to me because, um, the guy who shot her two recent music videos, Michael Yari Davidson, he actually knows Craig from CDN. They used to play in bands together, <laughs> uh, like back in the you know, small world kind of thing. And, uh, both of them know Glenn Fricker, the YouTuber I worked for. And we're like, okay, so Michael's like a legit professional. He's he has no day job. He's a cinematographer. Who has no day job and is a artist and is world renowned in thrash metal? No other than Ed Repka. Um, we hit him up. We go, we went to his website. We emailed him, and several weeks later, we got a reply. And he's like, okay, uh, what do you want? Because the price is based on what you want. If you want a front cover and a back cover, how detailed and you know what the subject matter is. And we're like. Let's go all out. If we're gonna if we're gonna go this far and get Ed Repka, let's have crazy album art front and back and super detailed both of them. So, in short, it was very expensive, and it took a very very long time. We hit him up, like I think four months, man. Four months. It was it was months. I re I remember the day we got the album art done. It was the final day of recording uh, rhythm guitar for the album. Bro, do you remember when we got the uh, the first draft? Yes, that was in April. Yeah, we were like... <gasps> I remember the day we were going to our drummer's house to do pre-production, uh, like tab out the songs and guitar, but this is where we find the tempos and how to play the song. And uh, we, that was just like fire under ass. It's like, this is it. This is the vision. This is the sound. You know, we got to put the sound to the, to the album art. Because I, I actually think album art is more important than how an album sounds, like production. Because what's the first thing you notice about an album? It's the artwork. If you're scrolling through Spotify or you're walking through a record store, you see a YouTube recommendation, the album art is first. And then once you click on it or once you buy it, uh, the production is second. That's true. And especially like when you're trying to judge what genre you're going for. Like if you have a, a very niche taste, then you know kind of thrash metal, death metal, uh, black metal, that kind of Represent thrash metal artwork than Ed Repka. Who's like done the, some of the biggest fucking names on the planet, bro? So yeah, when when Jack told me we should go with Ed Rep, I didn't tell him why. I didn't ask him like why the fuck are we doing this. I just said fuck yeah, let's go for it, man. Yeah, that was the that was the whole goal because I've seen this um, with bands like even even people I know they they have a they have their music and then they have album art that it looks cool but doesn't match the music. And I wanted something, and like, look, we're thrash metal. What is unmistakably thrash immediately? Because we spent all that time crafting our music to be like that. I wanted people to listen to it and have no second guessing about our genre. And I want people to see the album cover and have no second guessing about the genre. 
well i mean even your band name lends itself well to thrash metal it's it's short it's aggressive and the, the logo is great too that's, that's what i said i think their logo is fucking killer <laughs> before you sought out ed and obviously he's talented were you guys aware of the accusations against him for plagiarism or reusing assets yeah yes i read about them and i saw the the post about it um it was they were dated like i think the most recent time he did that was i think it was like 2009 something and i was thinking like okay if he's been clean for a decade i'm cool with that and it could just be uh uh like requests of like for the artists and stuff i think the the uphand for us was our bass player carlos is an artist and we we took um like art concept ideas one of them was uh doom we're very influenced by the cover art for doom the video game as well as uh, Crisis, so like the guy's suit kind of looks like the nano suit from Crisis, and just a bunch of other like '80s action and shit like that. So yeah. Carlos drew a rough sketch, and he he had pointers. He's like, I want the gun to look like this, and then there was like a it's almost like a blueprint sheet of how he wanted the gun to look, features about it and whatnot. So we were extremely precise with how we wanted the uh, the front and back cover to look, and he hit the nail on the head. Yep, and to add to that. The, the character, which we call the man with a gun, um, is basically an improvement on our first design from Caustic Horse, which you will see. It was just like a very, you know, not simple, but different way it was drawn from a different artist. And then, you know, Jack uh, showed that to Ed that we want you to improve on this one because he's going to be kind of like our Eddie, you know? <laughs> it's going to be our mascot. So maybe in third album, fourth album, he's still going to be there, man. It's a recurring character. I'm glad you guys touched on that because that was literally my next question. Um, I see that mascots lend themselves well to a lot of different genres, but I noticed that there's a there's kind of a trend in that in thrash metal. Yeah, yeah, like the most iconic is probably you know Snaggletooth from Motorhead and um, Eddie from Iron Maiden. Uh, the man with the gun was a bit of an accident. Um, yeah. It was Brad was very specific with his vision for the album cover for Costa Chords, and it was solely up to artist interpretation with. Um, the guy from Indonesia, we got to do it. Um, Handrot Art. Yeah, Handrot Art. And uh, we actually sent the album cover of our first album to Ed Repka. We're like, here's our guy. This is what he looks like. Put your spin on it. So it's, ex yeah, the, the album, are, even though he's like, he did like plagiarize, I think like two or three album covers. He recycled a guy's face from one album cover to another. But like, a few little duds and a huge cat. I mean, you can say the same about Led Zeppelin ripping off loose songs, you know. Uh, but they got a massive catalog, and so does Repka. So ours is just another, it's another truly original piece. Um, so much so that he posted it to Instagram, which he's <laughs> he's never done that before. So that was really cool. So that, that must mean he's really proud of it. And that, that just really warms us because, like, out of all the records that I've ever done, that's my favorite album art. And I, I think all the guys can say the same too. Like, you know, it's interesting. Some people will blast people for screwing up, but as one of my previous guests said, there has to be a path to redemption. You can't just judge somebody based on their worst moments. And if he's reusing some of his own assets, that's not really that big of a deal. Even if that wouldn't be my approach, he's obviously gotten to that level in metal because of the artwork he's produced. So it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either way, man. I mean, you know, if somebody's judging you at your worst moment, come on, man. Like, Ed Repka's been the guy for like three decades and so, and he's done so many amazing things in the metal world and, and more. 
and you know you, you know if what the allegations were proven or founded or whatever and then you judge a person based on that i mean come on and every like you said everybody deserves redemption one way or another you know it's not like you up every time or somebody else fucked up everything that they did and then just had one great moment no exactly like he's been he hasn't done that shit in a, a whole long time but especially with a massive catalog a tiny little blip like that i don't, I don't know yeah and it didn't bother us. He's a, he's a legendary artist, and he did a great job. That's all I care about. And we're, we're very yeah, he's at fucking Revco. We're very likely gonna go for him again. Oh yeah, for sure. We're gonna go for him again. I don't care what anybody says, man. We're gonna go for him again. You seem to be a fan of the post-apocalyptic like imagery and theme. So, how did you decide to go this route? And in future iterations, are you going to follow suit? So, our our bassist Carlos, um, he's like we said, he's a very big fan of like 80, 80s action movies and you know um, kind of like Terminator, RoboCop, Aliens. So you know all of, all of those three, when you put them together, you kind of have that vision of a post-apocalyptic world with like somebody that looks like Terminator, or RoboCop, and you know we we try to you know create a story based on the album art. You know basically when you see the first album, Caustic Horrors, you see the man with a gun standing on top of a pile of like mutated people it kind of gives you that story that oh there must have been an alien invasion and then everybody's mutated and who the fuck is this guy right what is he doing it's like protagonist antagonist we don't know and then on the second album you see him like in action like murdering everybody in in the vast wasteland of what we call earth and that's when we tie in with the songs like into necropolis which is a welcoming to the city of the dead that's what the lyrics say it's the city of the dead so you know you're dealing with post-apocalyptic stuff mixed with like aliens and you know like cy like not cyborgs but yes cyborgs the man with the gun is obviously half machine and uh alien invasion and mutations and zombies and whatnot everything that's great about 80s action movies and you know suspense and thrillers we jam-packed them all there jumping back to your logo who did you work with on that oh the the logo itself yeah uh, the band was done by uh the first drummer of corrosive it was just a rough sketch and um i had it sent i remember when we had the melting from within uh logo done i sent it to my guy in australia um and he's also a very renowned artist over there and uh he, he i, I told him like can you do something about this because when you see the first corrosive logo it looks like a death metal logo it's barely like legible and readable so he took it and he made some vast improvements and made this and made that. And that's what we have today. Hmm. Like more sharp, more concrete looking. And so, just like any good thrash logo, it should be sharp. Yes. Yes. Dude, yeah. To add to that, um, because the drummer designed it when they sent it to, it was by Thrashwolf. This, uh, Thrash this, yeah, Thrashwolf. Yeah, Logan. Um, yes. Uh, Thrashwolf is like, he was supposed to do Caustic Horde's artwork, but he's, he's more... Uh, like a graphic, like he does like t-shirt and poster kind of stuff. He doesn't really do landscape sort of scenery. But um, because he does like graphic and vectoring, um, he's like, hey, can I touch up your logo? And he did. Uh, if you want to see our original logo, um, this is a first and we've never spilled this before, but we have a documentary coming out in a few months called Catastrophic Creation. It's about the making of our first album. And the lo the early original logo as well as the original lineup is in it. Awesome. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. Thank you. So moving back to the beginning, what drew you guys to heavy music and who were some of the first bands that you guys listened to? Well, I think most people who got into heavy music have heard Metallica, so that was me. Who? 
I I heard uh the first Metallica song I heard was one, and that made me want to listen to Injustice for All. So I got a taste of like thrash Metallica instead of like nineties Metallica. So and I still liked the Black album, but I liked their thrash stuff more. And I wanted more of it, and I got into Slayer, which is very dark. I'm like, oh, cool, where can music go from here? And then I got into extreme metal from there. Like, you know, ages 16, I had a big thrash phase. Uh, got into extreme metal at about the same age. Listened to Metallica and played Slayer songs when I was like 9 or 10 years old on guitar kind of thing. Yeah. Been like that ever since. Never looked back. Yeah. For me, I-, I was a kid growing up in the 90s, and, you know, back then... The- no Spotify, no Weber, no cell phones with digital music and whatnot. So you only heard what people made you hear, right? And I grew up listening to my mom's music. So basically what she ever ha- whatever she had on tape. And it was like, you know, I mean, great bands like ABBA, Carpenters and whatnot. I never knew anything about metal. And I, I remember going to uh, like a family function from for distant relatives. And, you know, my one of my distant cousins is like this bad boy. You know, he had this makeshift pool table and was smoking. He's like drinking beer and it's like oh this is the coolest guy i've ever seen and he's laughing on the set tape set deck and um i asked him what it was it was like slayer show no mercy and it's like I, I didn't understand anything i was like 11 bro like like what the fuck is this is this like the coolest thing ever and then yeah you know you know it's not for you you know it was like you know he was basically calling me a poser or whatever oh no you can't listen to this it's not for you i said fuck you man so i started going into like um, metal like anybody else did during that time you know i went to a record store and first thing i picked up was uh metallica's like load <laughs> and i was like i thought this was the heaviest thing i ever heard and then i, I like the guy beside me was saying no that's not the heaviest thing you will ever hear so i i keep telling the story because like then i had to work my way back i started with kill em all then ride the lightning then master of puppets and so forth and so on then somebody else introduced me to like cannibal corpse nile and then so forth and so on. I got into Testament, which was like one of my favorite bands, and then Sodom, and that the rest was history, man. Very colorful uh, pathways for you both, right? We're like big fans of Nile. Yeah, I love Nile. I saw them. I got lucky to see them live. They're so good. I have not seen them live yet, but when they come back, I definitely will. Yeah. Bro, when I, yeah, except was like when the co-headliner was Narcotic Wasteland, and you know Dallas. Dallas Wade and meeting him, it was just like, holy fuck, it's Dallas. You know, it's like the nicest guy too, right? He's so chill. Like, um, I'm like, well, hey Dallas, I'm like, I'm a really big Nile fan, but I won't pester you about them because I'm sure you get that all the time. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, fuck, god damn, this guy's so good. Yeah, he's so cool. He, he took tons of pictures with us. And it's like, fucking take a picture, fucking take a picture. <laughs> I always enjoy the meme online where it's like a rabid pit bull and it's like death metal vocalist on stage and then off stage he's like a cute puppy. Yeah, yeah, the merch in the merch booth or something like that. Yeah, that's that's literally corpse grinder. <laughs> yeah. What a teddy bear. What inspired you guys to get involved in your respective instruments? Rad, obviously vocals for you. Oh, okay. So I, whenever I get asked this question, I I really don't know what to answer. And I'll start this off by saying when you know, there's a lot of uh, metal singers out there, metal vocalists that you know tend to give advice when they're asked, like, "How do you do it? What do you do to train your voice or keep it like that? Or can you teach me how to do vocals or metal vocals?" I don't know how to do any of those things. I just do it. But to answer your question, how I got into like doing vocals, you know, I think I'll jot it down to like listening to music or driving, and then listening to your favorite band, like I said, Nile or Testament, and then I would try to sing like Chuck fucking Billy, bro, and then. 
maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. You know, maybe. Because, like, I played a guitar, like, fucking 20, 25 years ago, and and I, I just forgot how to do it. Maybe I'll do vocals instead. And then that's what I did. And I just built it from there. You know, it's like you had to first get your influences in, you know, whoever those were, whether whether it's, like I said, Chuck Billy, uh, Araya, Fetty Mercury, it doesn't matter who, you know, you, you want to emulate those um, artists and then you eventually try to find your own sound. And that's what Jack was telling me like years ago when he heard the uh, Melting From Within EP that, oh, I mean, it sounds good, but it doesn't really sound like you. So I had to, you know, basically find my own voice. And then with Caustic Chorus, Jack heard my, for the first time in the vocal booth as I was recording the songs. Because like, remember during that time, it was the pandemic when we recorded Caustic Chorus, there were no fucking shows. Jack was basically like in, in the band for a few months, you know, and then he hadn't really heard me in like a loud setting. And when he heard me, I think it was, what, what's the first song recorded off of Caustic Chords? I don't even remember, but then that's your sound, bro. That's your sound. And I just stuck with it. There was a, there was a section in Acidized off the Melting From Within EP where he goes like this higher pitch kind of, yeah. uh, kind of sound. It's not quite Millie. So I actually like a lot of people say he sounds like Millie from Creator. I think he sounds a bit more like Angel Ripper from Sodom. Thank uh, you. He's got like this. It was like this higher pitch scream sort of sound. Um, and I'm like, I want you to do that. And then he he like really honed in on that, and it sounded fucking great. In my opinion, his best vocals, like the perfect example, is I think it's like three minute mark of the song Septic Messiah when the verse comes in. Mm-hmm. It's just like unforgivingly like brutal uh, yeah like i was fucking i was really pleased because i'm like look the music kicks ass but uh old corrosive he didn't know what his vocal style was due to other members because they're, they're like i want you to sound like this no i want you to sound like this yeah and then uh when the new corrosive lineup came in like we didn't care about that shit we're like well a vocalist should do what he's good at so play to your strengths we all are like we thought it was obvious we're not control freaks so and you know, strictly speaking about like what I can do, when even with my old band, I, I was doing um, vocals in a more like low low end kind of way. You know, you try to growl, you know, even try to do gutturals, but it wasn't me. And it was actually harder for me to do it. I remember after every show, it was hard for me to even speak. It's like you know, my throat was like sore and everything. And why why would that happen? Because you're not using your own voice. So when it came for caustic chords and even album for toxic apocalypse and then we're doing all these shows i'm belting out seven eight songs i mean that's that's nothing to the bigger bands but i find myself like able to speak able to just like act like nothing happened you know my neck's sore from all the the windmill that we fucking do on stage but vocal wise like i I was very happy with the way we're doing things and the way i'm doing things and then jack how did you get into guitar so i was like seven years old and my dad was really pushing me to play guitar because he's like you know, chicks dig guitars, and I'm, I'm like in like <laughs> the set, the first or second grade, and I'm not into girls. Um, but that, then he he gave me the first Van Halen record on CD. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to do all that shit. Like that's clearly a guitar. I want to learn how to play like that. And I started playing guitar when I was eight. I was just playing like Green Day and ACDC songs. And then when I got into metal, which was not soon after that. Um, or not too far after that, um, I, I had like the basic, like power chord thing going, so it wasn't too difficult for me to learn, and I just kept pretending I was a rock star. Um, 
And then I picked up drums. And I was more of a drummer, uh, ages like 10 to 14. And I was pretty good. But then a school I went to, um, had the drummer for my, my old rock band. That drummer, he, Oliver Salathiel, he shot the music video for Burning Earth off our first album. He also shot the upcoming documentary too. And uh, that was edited by me. So it's like a nice collaborative effort. Um, because we went to the same school together and there's like two other really good drummers there too. We're like, well, there's not a lot of guitar players, so I'll play guitar. That's how the rock band formed. And then I went on to join other bands. Him and I have been in a couple other bands as well. And I've, they've always needed a guitar player and he would always play drums. So I stuck with guitar and I got better gear and I'm like, you know what? Like my family moved houses from like a detached house to a townhouse and I can't play drums anymore. It's just stuck ever since. And then. Uh, it's because I, I actually auditioned for drums for a band called Protocult. And because I was so out of practice, my, my double bass was really bad. Uh, they're like, okay, how are you on guitar? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty, I, I know my way around the fretboard. So I tried out and they're like, yeah, just, just stay on guitar. I'm like, oh, cool. And then the next audition after I played drums, they brought Kaveh Offshore in. So Kaveh was playing drums and I was on guitar. And I think one or two years after Kave joins Corrosive and he's telling me about Corrosive. And then a month before the pandemic hits, uh, he's like, Hey, uh, Corrosive has a show on May 3rd. We'd like you to play it. And I didn't want to be like, Oh, the, the, the pandemic's like really spreading. It's going to be canceled. And it was, but I didn't want to be like, that's a very long no. So I said, yeah. So I showed up to the jam and, uh, I really liked it like a lot. I really like playing this kind of music. So that's how I, from playing guitar to joining this band. Hmm. I like that you brought up your other bands here. So you're also a member of Fascicide and then you, and forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, but you also belong to a band called Vias, which is death metal and then Protocol, which uh, obvious, well, Protocol in the past, which uh, seems to be like a folk metal band. For you, is it difficult to change musical styles? Uh, you pronounce both names right. Okay. Um, so Vias was a, a pro so I was in a metalcore band. I joined in 2014. You were? And uh, it morphed into more of a death metal sound. And the death metal band Vias was that. It was supposed to be like, okay, we did an EP for the uh, the metalcore band. And our vocalist at the time was really into Islamic history. And I looked up like exotic scales to match his lyrical themes. Hmm. And I was really big into Behemoth and Nile at the time. And I'm like, well, I can't, uh, I don't know a drummer who can play as fast as Inferno or George Pulius, but uh, I like the scales they use. So I wrote like all of Vias, that, that one album, it's all one scale, the Phrygian dominant scale. And um, uh, I'm a very shitty band leader. I was very distracted and we, we had like one rehearsal and never gigged. Um, that was done by Glenn Fricker. Uh, here, here's a fun fact. The, the song, the Vias song, Call of the Raven, is uh was reworked into a corrosive song and that song is carnage incarnate oh cool that's right <laughs> I'm like, I, like it's not it's not stealing if it's if i wrote it exactly <laughs> it's just, it's just um you know at the time it was 24 year old me stealing from 18 year old me <laughs> um so that that band's like i don't know who updates the metal archives but that band was like dead since 2017 because i'm like mm. yeah i joined protocol you know why continue this um fascicide was a project like it's still going on actually. Um, it's a project between me and my buddy Benjamin from Florida. And it's just this like knuckle dragging low IQ grindcore. And he's a, he's a super 
like smart political person were like, okay, what's a fun topic? Like, like, oh, killing Nazis. Why not? You know, fucking Napalm Death made a whole career out of it because we're big Napalm Death fans. And uh, I play drums in that band, actually. Like, I play electronic drums. Uh, okay. We had a demo with real drums. And I thought, you know what? Let's do a split because Fascist I did a cover EP and Corrosive did a cover song of Toxic Apocalypse. We covered a Napalm Death song. So, yeah, that's that. And then I was in Protocol for about almost six years. And so are you still focusing on the other groups or is Corrosive kind of your main focus? So Fashion Side, I still work in. I'm still writing. Uh, I'm still shutting my brain off and coming up with riffs on the fly and I record it. I don't write riffs and then like I rehearse it and then I book studio time and do it. I just do it all myself in my house. Um, Corrosive is like a real band. It's like I have a riff. I write it down. I show it to the guys. We tab it out. We book studio time. It's like. Fascicide is my fun project because I can turn my brain off and like not care. So what say is that corrosive is his wife and fascicide is his side chick. <laughs> <laughs> you know when your wife is like really good friends with your side hoe and they know what's up? That's it, it's like the most consensual, like open relationship. <laughs> we don't care where you go during the night as long as you come home to us, buddy. <laughs> yeah, the Corrosive is by far the, my my favorite band I've ever been in, and I and I love Protocol too. So, like, the fact that I have like such a dedicated group of guys who were all on the same page and shit, like the arguments within the band are about the smallest little things. <laughs> I think I think the biggest argument that, that we had was Rad and I couldn't like I really wanted him to wait. I like about the Repka art, for example. He wanted to post it like a month after we got. It. I'm like no. Oh shit! <laughs> so I said, I said no to that because uh, I'm like, well, you're gonna kill your hype if you put the album art out. People are like, yo, new album, when is it coming out? And we're like, I don't know. Like that's just such a buzzkill, right? And so I'm like, okay, look, this is what you do: album art on this day when after we get the masters. And he's like, I trust you, Jack. And it was good. Like, like that's such a minor thing. Like it's such a little. It, like, like, imagine if we complained about, like, who did the album art. Like, that would be a problem. It's it's more like, oh, Edrek is expensive. I'm like, no, you're going to be shooting yourself in the foot not doing this. And no, like, we're on the same page about a lot of shit. Yeah. And the stuff we argue about, it's just like Jack said, it's about the minuscule things. The, the thing with us is that's why we work is uh, we, we talk about everything. You know, we, we don't. Out. Yeah, we don't. We don't keep everything inside and just compromise and just, like, you know, bottle it up and then. One day, you know, you're going to go post like, fuck this, I'm done, motherfucker. You know, so it's like if something bothers somebody, we talk about it, even though it's uncomfortable, you know, and not just in like, uh, you know, music wise, but person, personal, you know, stuff as well. And that's what builds us as a better band. You know, the more the more we work together, the more we're band, the more like we're brothers, man, through and through, you know, and we're more attuned to what each other likes, what the other guy doesn't like. And, you know, that's why it works. And that's why we have a great relationship with the band. We're, yeah, we, we put up with, you know, like we put up with one another, but it's not like a, it's, it's not a, a chore or a task because we all like we all like what we do. Um, one thing coming up and this will be another first um, that's that's uh, the public gets to hear through you is the show on April 29th opening for Razor is going to be filmed again because it's a legendary Canadian speed metal band totally. at the rock pile. We literally did a DVD of that 
well, not a, like a DVD, but we did like a full proper professional recording uh, with the Exciter show. What I decided was like, look, this is like fire and ice it's because they're so similar. So what we're doing is we're bringing a completely new set list. We're playing songs we didn't play, but we are bringing one song back because it was a nice middle ground. Like, um, you know, like Brad wanted to put on like a killer set list Taylor made for the show. And I'm thinking like, what about the bigger package if we play our deep cuts and maybe say goodbye to them at least for a little bit, right? No, not permanently, but I wanted like proper recordings of as much ground as we could cover. Hmm. And we ended up with this great compromise. Well, we playing all of our deep cuts, but we're bringing back a fan favorite for this one. Right. Nice. And, uh, and a brand new cover as well. So if you want to find out, that's going to be fun. Oh man. I'm so excited for this because we have a lot to look forward to. We're a very, we're a very hardworking band. We really like to put stuff out there. That's why we filmed the Exciter show. I'm like, what other bands locally does this? What other band gets a camera crew and makes it sound from the board and like makes a proper recording from it? Because if people want to see how you perform live, but you know, are like unable to, then like send them the video. Next best thing. Yeah. One of the best comments I've read on um, Facebook when somebody shared the live Hellfire video, uh, mm-hmm. buddy of Rosie said, you know, watching this makes me relive that night over and over again because it was such an amazing night, you know, the Exciter show. And we we got like four or five cameras and it captured all angles. So you, you can really see the action, not just on the stage. You know, a lot of bands just like show like the, you know, the videos, like the performers, but we got the audience, we got the mosh pit, we got everything. So everybody was happy, man. And that feeds into the energy too. Like when I'm watching something on YouTube or on TV or something like that, I don't really get the same impact, I guess, unless I do see the crowd because I think it goes hand in hand with like how the band's playing and how the how the fans are reacting. Yeah, that's right. We we wanted to really take advantage of it because we know the people at the rock pile. I've I've tried okay, I've tried to do like a live DVD sort of thing for over half a decade in different bands with varying <laughs> degrees of success. And this is by far the most successful. It's like a legit, like, holy shit. Like, yes, there's mistakes in it, but no, we did not correct them because, you know, that's not real. But it, it was our best show we've played but to the best crowd. We got extremely lucky with the great lighting. Like, everything just pretty much aligned, and I'm proud of it, and I want that again with this upcoming show. I think that's a great idea. Just to touch on your guys' like band dynamic there, it seems like from the outside looking in that you guys have done a great job of removing your guys' ego from everything. What's there to be inflated about? I mean... I like, just, we're just a bunch of dudes that love to thrash, you know? We just, you know? we just love our music. We just love to put it out there by any means necessary. We just want to show you know, the world that, hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we have to offer. And, you know, if you like us, hey, buy our merch, you know. Who are some of your current favorite bands? And if you can, more specifically, maybe Canadian Thrash. Hmm. Canada's a little low on Thrash, I'll be honest. Um, but there are a lot uh, of great... One of the uh, ones I, you know, listen to and play with a lot is uh, Rippard. You know, our buddies from Kitchener hmm. and uh, Mortal Annoyance, which they're also playing the, the, the Razor show. So it's like a Canadian Thrash Fest. So those are like a couple of the favorite, uh, local favorite uh, Canadian bands of mine. Uh, yeah, that's a fuck. It's such a stacked lineup. Like the, it's like the the OGs of Canadian thrash, like all of them. Mortal Noise, like I've been around like 
long as like sacrifice have been in Razor. So it, them playing this show means a lot to us too. We're good buddies with them too. Like they they come over to our jam spot and we hang out every now and then. Here's with them, we barbecue, you know. Nice. Uh, You're the man. See, I lo- I love thrash, but I don't like to listen to it all the time. Hmm. Um, dude, it doesn't have to be thrash. Like you can like mention. I know I know you like our buddies Eddie and their band. Oh, I love Investigation. Investigation is great. Um, I don't know current bands. Technically, the thrash metal now is Mr. Bungle. I'm a big fan of. I just love Mike Patton. I think he's great. He's a fucking great singer. Uh, oh, another band that I'm into right now, it's Necrofilth with a K. Okay. I don't know if you've... Yeah, Necrofilth. They're just like crossover filthy thrash, and it's like right up my alley. It's like a great... Listen, songs are no longer than three minutes long. It's like in your face. It's like, I love it. So Necrofilth with a K. Um, I don't know any new bands. I love Acid Bath, though. I'm a big Acid Bath fan. I guess when I asked that question, I should have worded it better. What I mean is, like, currently, like, who are your favorite bands? Because yeah. I know, like, for me, I go through phases, and sometimes I won't touch a record or a type of music for quite a while. Um, Mortal Vision from Ukraine. Killer thrash metal band. Um, Killing from Denmark. Yep. Denmark, yes. Yeah. They're they're so nice. They're, they're really good dudes. We want to... We're really trying to work something out. We really want to go to Denmark and play a show with them. That'd be really cool. Uh, yeah, that's about it for me. Killing, Necrofilth, Mortal Vision. We mentioned them earlier, uh, Howler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Howler. They got that 80s, like, old-school Metallica vibe going, and um, they're great. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's uh, those are my recs for current thrash. Awesome. Okay, so now my last question for you guys is, if people are looking to find your music, where is the best place for them to find it for you guys? So first things first, you, uh, you you know you go through our label, the CDN Records website. Uh, all our merch is there for the CDs and cassette tapes and future vinyl. And if not on CDN's website, you can go through our Bandcamp page, corrosivemetal.bandcamp.com. You know you'll see our CDs, tapes, shirts, and other good stuff in the way. Awesome! Thank you guys again for taking this time to speak with me. I had a blast, and hopefully we can chat again soon in the future. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Appreciate this. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.